Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Christian Hunters of America podcast. We have a special episode today where we're going to be speaking about a topic that we haven't covered before. That involves custom handmade knives. We're going to be speaking with Mark Bean, who owns Cool Bean Knives. He's a former contestant on Forged and Fire. For all you people that love watching that TV show, we enjoy uh, seeing all the different types of pieces of art and the, the handmade metal swords, metal knives, all the different things that go involved into that. Um, Mark's going to be talking about all the different things that are required, the, the different types of forges, the different metals, all those intricacies that most of us don't realize reference handmade custom knives. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to another episode of the Christian Hunters of America podcast. This is Chet Gray, your host. As always, we have Mike Ornoski in studio. How are you, Mike? We are doing good. It's below 85 degrees outside in Phoenix, so it's a good day. Amen to that. Uh, we have a special guest. We have Mark Bean on the line. He is a custom knife manufacturer here in Arizona. He's the owner of Cool Beans Knives um, out of Queen Creek. If any of you have seen his work or you've seen him on TV, he is a former contestant on Forged and Fire. How are you, Mark? I'm fantastic. Just kind of loving this weather myself. <laughs> this is what everybody dreams about in uh, Maricopa <laughs> County or Southern Arizona. If you, if you guys haven't been in the Southwest, you don't understand how great it is when it gets below 90 <laughs> after having all summer long of 110 and above. So we're very yep. blessed to have this type of weather right now where you can leave the windows open at night and not run your AC. Exactly. Oh, great. Well, Mark, if you want to introduce yourself for our listeners that don't know you and uh, kind of talk a little bit about yourself and your company, and then we'll start diving into knife making. Right on. Uh, obviously, as you said, my name is Mark Bean. I own Cool Beans Knives out of Queen Creek, Arizona. Uh, basically been making custom knives for about six years now. Uh, pretty much... If you haven't seen my stuff, I really specialize more in the, the higher end side of things to get the form and function along with the uh, artistic side. Um, specialize a lot of Damascus steels, a lot of hunting knives and uh, kitchen knives. Those are my my main deals that I do. Um, I'm trying to think about what else to add real quick. Uh, it's pretty basic stuff. I just work by myself and it takes me a while, but try to make a quality product for everybody so that's what a lot of people don't realize if you if you haven't seen you know someone having the the equipment and how much room and time that takes of having a forge and having you know to either yeah. hammer it by yourself or having some pneumatic tool to do it and yeah. Damascus taking so many layers and different types of metals um yeah. let's talk about a little bit first on the artistic, the, the, the fancier knives, and then we'll, we'll dive into the, the hunting stuff. I know Damascus is just as sharp and, and is used. Uh, to me, it looks more nice and fancy because of the, the different layers that it's used in order to create it. But um, they're yes. almost pieces of art where I wouldn't want to use it out in the field. I know people do, but yeah. um, let's talk about a little bit about like the equipment and why some of that stuff is expensive because of so much time and effort that goes into making these Damascus knives. So, so first and foremost, uh, just to clarify with some stuff so I don't get corrected by the, the people that like to correct people. What I make is everybody refers to it as Damascus. Um, today's standards, that's just a loose term that's used for it. And it's technically it's pattern welded steel. So I'm using different steels. Uh, it, the reason why it still works and is just as sharp is because it's still the same steels that you effectively would use as in a mono steel knife that might just be chrome or black or whatever. Um, so as far as that goes, uh, 
you know, I mean, without getting too nerdy about it, um, you know, just elaborate on some of that questions. It, it, the equipment used, uh, you know, that could be, oh my gosh, that most of my stuff, what's that? We could probably have a whole episode where you could geek out on all the equipment, right? And all the, the awesome yeah. uh, forges and <laughs> pneumatic hammers I'm and stuff. basic, though. I, I don't use a pneumatic hammer. I actually use, I have a press, and I only actually use that to make my billets of steel. Okay. And aside from that, everything is actually hand hammered. Awesome. So everything is, if if you know what you're looking at, you can actually look at my knives and tell that they are hand hammered to shape. Um, they're not just ground from a flat piece of steel. Um, they, they truly are forged to the way, and I think that's what, kind of sets them apart in the, the looks department to make them look a certain way. I, I've got to, I'm real weird about things looking a certain way and making sure that they look like they were handmade. Right. Um, Rather than punched yeah. out from the factory or something. Oh yeah. And I think it's very important because first of all, I mean, it's one of those things when, <clears throat> when you get this blade, I mean, I, I expect them to be used. I make them to be used and they do. I mean, I, I get, feedback from a lot of people they're constantly being used out in the field the big thing is, is i also want them to be something that you get to show off to people and brag about because i want it to be a unique piece of art for everybody that has one uh, and Absolutely. that's you know that's all super important to me right so uh i and, don't know uh what's going and on. as a hunter it's awesome to be able to you know as a dad or a granddad um yeah if you have one and you're able to pass that down as a family heirloom and it's a high quality made piece of metal that can be resharpened and, uh, and given to another loved one, then that's even icing on the cake. Oh, for sure. And, and that's one of the things I preach people about with these is that when you buy one, the only reason you would have to buy another knife is because you just want something different or whatever they you're not gonna unless you lose it or intentionally destroy the things there they will last generations you know because of the steels i mean I, I choose i choose to use high quality steels it's not a bunch of old stuff that i find laying around i actually <laughs> do order brand new steel yeah that's great um, and i'm looking at your instagram and it talks about it's actually the one with the uh whiskey so it's kind of nice how you highlight the, the knife with a couple of whiskey bottles <laughs> but it talks about the 162 layers so what does that mean yeah. of steel when so like when i read this does that mean you're taking 162 different layers of steel to form it or is that something what does that so mean to me basically like i said it's considered pattern welder so what i do is i actually start with typically two types of steel sometimes three it just depends on the mood that i'm in right um just imagine two types of steel and I cut those into equal size pieces and then alternatingly stack the two types of steel. So most of the steel I end up using most of the time is the 80 CRV two and a 15 N 20. Those are the most common ones that I use. Now 15 N 20 has a small percentage of nickel in it. And that's, uh, done for the purpose that nickel is a little more anti-corrosive than stuff without nickel in it. So they're very kind of similar steels in some aspects. Um, the ADCR V2 has a lot of good qualities in it for abrasion resistance and whatnot. So anyway, so I, I might start off, let's just say I stack 10 each of these pieces up and I got 20 layers, right? Like 20 pieces of steel. Now, I forge weld that together and turn it into a solid piece of steel, right? And I draw it out into a long bar. And then I will take that bar, literally cut it into pieces. It might be four or five or six pieces. And then I will restack that up. So now I took that 20 and let's just say I did four. Now I've got 80 pieces of steel stacked on top of each other, right? Yep. And then I will forge weld that together and draw it out again, um, depending on what I want it to look like. And so... 162 layers, whatever I would have started with, that's just where it ended up that that many layers effectively ended up stacked on top of each other. And as you can see, you know, which whenever you're looking at is probably a pretty tight pattern. It, you know, it's uh right. 
I, I most of the time my stuff I actually shoot for about 60 layers because I like that bold contrasting look uh, but that's effectively that's how you end up getting the layer count is just by keep on restacking that um, you know I mean I've all the, I've done all the way up to like 3600 layers wow and how much uh, time goes into something like that um it's hard to say exactly i mean just to make the billet of steel i mean i'll have i don't know three or four hours yes i would say two to four hours just to make just a billet of steel for a basic uh billet not that's not making it do any other fancy patterns that's just restacking it to right do anything you know because it's very time consuming to once you get done drawing it out, you got to get back all the forge scaling off of it. You got to get it clean and flat and smooth and real pretty. I mean, it'll look like a brand new piece of steel when I'm done. And then once again, like I said, you got to draw it out each time. So you've got all the time letting things heat up and cool off and all the grinding time and the cleaning time and, and whatnot that goes involved with it. So it, it just to get the billet of steel, I'll have, you know, two to four hours. Some of the fancier patterns I might have, you know, five six eight hours into just to get a piece of steel ready to forge into a piece of knife into a knife yep that's incredible when you think about most people just go to a convenience store and they just buy a knife off the shelf that's manufactured and mass produced it's oh, yeah. the lowest quality and then you look at a knife like i'm looking at this picture just it, just to yeah. get to that that blade that piece of steel and the workmanship and i'm looking yeah. at this knife that's just amazing thinking that's just the piece of steel just to allow you to start to form what the knife's going to look like and start right. putting it together. That's absolutely amazing. So, and, and when you look at that type that patterning that, that Damascus per se, when you see the stuff out there that's for sale for a hundred bucks or whatever, I tell you, man, it's generally overseas stuff and you don't have a clue what kind of steels that's made out of. It's not going to, you know, they don't hold their edge as well. They don't hold up as well at all, but this stuff is more along the lines of like, I know exactly what's in this stuff. I got a very controlled environment to know that every time it's welded together, I know that it's a good weld. It's tight. It's not coming apart, you know? Yep. Um, so there's a lot of, a lot that goes into that. Um, and to be honest with you, I mean, it's, it's something that wasn't learned overnight. I mean, I, you know, just like anybody else that, figures things out you had a lot of failures to lead up to that right absolutely oh. and uh so so yeah at, at that point um and it's i guess the coolest part about it is every time i start a new block of steel a new new billet it's that's when my mind just starts getting creative and it's like i'm looking already thinking about what i want the end result to look like and that's what makes that's what drives me to Okay, do I stack it together more? Do I twist it up? Do I, you know, do whatever to make it look a certain way, right? And uh, I think that's part of the fun of it, honestly. <laughs> that's where the creative mindset comes in. It's not just throwing a bunch oh, yeah. of metal together. I mean, there is a yep. thought process behind it on what the effectiveness, the function, mm -hmm. and what it looks like. I mean, that's right. That's pretty cool, and that's what you get with a custom one-off knife. I mean, I'm sure... Correct me if I'm oh, wrong. Yeah. If a customer says, okay, I liked this example, like what Mike's referencing on Instagram or any of your social media, yeah. I want it to look similar to this, but can you make it, you know, just a little bit different? So mine's special and you can, you right. can do that. Well, and the funny part you, you mentioned about that is even if you came to me and said, man, I want a knife that looks exactly like this. Like I can do everything in my power to get it close, but this is a very natural type of process. There is no way to mimic exactly like they, no two will ever look the same. Right. That's, just, that's even better. Yeah. So I, I can, I can make one billet of steel and draw it out and make five knives out of it. Right. If I, if I make a large enough billet and each one will still look unique, each one. Now you'll be able to see there's similarities, but it's not, it, it's each one of them is just, completely unique and that's the that's the part that's kind of neat so um everybody you know, gets I, a one-off piece of of custom yeah. you know artwork oh, yeah. and a utility yep. knife that you know is functionable it's not going to just sit up on a fireplace and i guess it right. could if, if someone didn't want to use it or if it had a, a different special meaning but um well 
the, make, these, like I said, go ahead. I was gonna say these. These are definitely like I said. I I'm pretty proud of the fact that most most of the ones I get out there do get used, and it it makes me makes me smile. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. I mean that's like for instance, Anthony Stallone, a mutual friend of ours, and yep. he gave if anyone knows him from Phoenix Shooting Bags, um, one of the prior guests on our podcast. Hello, Anthony, yeah. if you're listening, and uh, hi, Anthony. Um, he uh, he gave his son. I mean, like, what better gift than something yeah. so unique and custom? Yeah. And hop on Phoenix Shooting Bags uh, Instagram, and you'll see after their elk hunt last month um, or earlier this month, I can't remember. He yeah. he, you know, had it sitting on his front passenger seat to give to his son and his son kind of, you know, long, hard hunt and didn't, <laughs> unfortunately didn't tag out, but you get that reward at the end of, uh, of getting a custom knife made by Mark. Um, could you talk about that knife a little bit? What did you do anything special for that one? I, I'm trying to remember that one, I believe was twist Damascus. So it's kind of a lower layer count, but I just literally, turn the steel as i'm making it into a bar steel mm-hmm. after it's forge welded, and then i get it up to a certain temperature put it in a vise and literally just twist it just keep on twisting it and then turn it back into a flat bar and hammer a knife out of it i mean it's a it's a that's probably one of the more basic processes that you know gets done in this uh in this stuff so it's kind of one of those uh deals though it's very unique and looks really cool when it's done um so the one for anthony's kid the other cool part about it is he was very specific that it needed to have certain colors and this and that so if you see the pictures of it it's got a nice green handle on it and everything right uh that was all to you know even the kydex sheet that i made for it was bright green bright green paracord on it for the little leash on the knife i mean everything it, it it's kind of I don't know how to explain it more than that. So, I mean, it's, it's like it can kind of customize a little bit. That's what makes there. it, you know, everybody likes their yeah. own special camo and everybody's, you know, brand yeah. specific on that or they like that pattern. But, right, you know, that is a perfect way. Not only is the blade going to be unique and look different than anyone else's, but, okay, yep. you want it to be hunter orange. You want it to be black or you yeah. want it to be camo paracord if you have a paracord uh you know wrap on the handle you're not gonna be able to yeah. find it when you drop it and it's covered in blood that's why <laughs> the, the bright green and the bright orange i mean those yeah. those are you're gonna find it after you're done gutting an animal so it's, the, typically and, and it's funny to that because typically I, all my skinners and hunting knives end up with a cord little leash on the back like just a little thing dangling off the back of the handle right and people can take it off if they want, but the whole intent with that is any knife that I know for sure is getting used in the field ends up with hunter orange or some bright, bright paracord on it just for that reason. Absolutely. Man, you, you're in the heat of the moment. You're taking an animal apart and doing all that stuff. You, sometimes your brain isn't functioning like you feel it should. And you set stuff down and it's like, Oh my God, where did I put that? But at least if you got something that stands out, you know, it's, it kind of helps because not everybody wants a bright orange handle or things that, you know, that, that I think everybody that really likes all the, the fancy woods that I use on it, you know? Right. Yeah. That, that comes in, um, to even making it more unique, but having something on there that does make it bright. If it's a handle one, if you slipped your oh, hand yeah. through it, um, yeah. or you slip it through your wrist, you're not going to lose it. And two, if you do lay it down, while you're yeah. breaking that animal apart, hopefully you will be able to spot it because you don't want to be stabbed by uh-huh. one of these knives and you want to be able to get no. it. You've spent hard-earned money on it. You don't want to leave it out in the field. And like you said, right. we all kind of, you know, have brain lapses out there. You've been oh yeah, lack of food or lack of sleep and you're hunting hard and <laughs> hiking back in there and you're at the bottom of some yeah. ravine or canyon and you're like, all right, now I got to break this bull or anything apart and take it back yeah. out of here. Um, and yeah. it might even be, it might just be excitement that gets you, you know, you're just that true. <laughs> like, should... a, like a four-year-old with an ice cream cone, you know, just, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly how we should all feel. Otherwise we should hang it up. If you stop feeling like that. Exactly. Um, I, uh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say that the, <clears throat> Some of the stuff about 
the steals just elaborate on that too is is i do get some people that ask me about you know with these you have to keep them dry you got to put wipe them down when you're done because they are high carbon steels um i just feel in my simple little mind that instead of going to a stainless of some sort i just don't feel the stainless steels will hold an edge as well as a good quality high carbon steel um and I, I refuse to actually go down changing the ways when I get reports all the time from people that, you know, hey, I just did this whole entire animal without having to sharpen this knife. And it was amazing, you know. And that's and, huge. And that's the best compliment in the world, right? Yeah. And I shot my first elk the, this last fall. I shot a cow. Uh, and I took a handful of knives to try out, but I had just one knife literally that took the entire hide off this elk broke it down in the field and you know the whole nine yards and i'm like wow i see why people like this you know <laughs> so it was kind of kind of nice to not have to worry about sharpening and dealing with that stuff but well that's huge i mean if you pay for one of those a lot of guys use the havilons or the outdoor yep. edge and the replaceable blades and yeah you could yeah. rehone those and, and make them last longer but they are really right. skinny and you know they're a surgical yep. blade that that's meant to be yeah. dis- discarded and and you and you know a new one put on and that's the benefit of those but you're going to constantly right. be buying that kind of stuff um to replace right. them when you do buy a high-end hunting knife yeah. that can be resharpened and like that mm-hmm. to break apart a whole elk with one knife and not need to be rehoned or resharpened during the course of right. that's huge yeah and uh and, oh go ahead uh, i was gonna say well, after we get into more stuff, what I'll give you is some cool little tips that I've figured out with that stuff too. But uh, but we we can elaborate on that when we get a little farther into this. But for now, you know, just to remind me on you know field use on these blades and stuff, it's kind of well, stuff. yeah. While you're talking about it, when you when you have one and it's being stored, mm-hmm. what is some what are some of the tips in order to keep it um, in tip top condition? And then once it once you've used it, how should mm-hmm. you go about? Um, what are some of the steps and things that you recommend after you've used it to break down an animal or you've used it, you know, as your everyday carry for a few months? Right. What, what do you recommend? Honestly, it's just keeping them dry and clean. I tend to, I like to use, you know, lightweight oils on the stuff. If you're really wanting food grade and things like that, a good cutting board oil works. Like I prefer, like there's a brand called Walrus, like just like the, big sea cow thing you know the <laughs> their, their oil their cutting board oil is awesome there's a, a product out there uh from another small company guy called axe wax like axe wax and that's another one that's more of a dry uh type of deal but that's that's one that you can just apply and wipe off and it's a hardening wax uh that works exceptionally well but the axe wax and those oils might be hard to carry in the field at times, right? Right. Yep. Um, so your best bet is to just keep it dry. Wipe it off. You know, it's not that big a deal. If, if you get dried dried blood, dried meat on whatever, it's not going to hurt it. The, the blades are going to tarnish. They're going to get spots on them and all that stuff. It doesn't hurt a thing. Um, I explain to people all the time, then the more you use it, the more that will start evening out and then it'll it'll start looking like a fantastic knife again um after some time of use but you got to be patient let that stuff do its job you know right and what are those those are just kind of like oil or petroleum based uh but food grade in order to keep your knife kind of yeah cleaner just like when you're oiling the barrel of your of your rifle that's all it is that's all it is um Sorry. What was the axe wax and what was the other one? Walrus oil. Walrus oil and axe wax, everybody. Yeah. Check them axe out. Wax, I, I, I really like the axe wax. Like I said, it's just one of those that uh, not every, you know, they come in a little tiny tin. They're kind of like a little chapstick tin or something like that. And uh, their product is not as broadly available, but if you want to just order it and get it, I mean, it's, you know, the owner of the company is a real cool guy. So that's awesome. Uh, but the, you know, so 
the the biggest thing is like I said, keep it dry. If they get rust on them, if they get to like stuff you can't get off, like a really fine steel wool will take the stuff right off usually. Um, just use it in a manner to not run your finger down the cutting edge of the blade. That's uh, a <laughs> that's a good tip as well. Uh, exactly. <laughs> common sense isn't common anymore for for some right. of us. <laughs> So uh, the with, handle with nothing else, just the steel wool. You don't need any other product or anything, and that'll take the rust. No, out. I don't. I don't. Just as long as it's dry, it okay. works just fine. You can you can put it in the sink and use a little bit of, you know, like dish soap and water if you want. Uh, if you're going to use water on them, like washing them, typically I tell people you know use hot water so that it uh, evaporates off quicker, and then just oil it right away. You know, once you dry it. Yep. Nice. Um, the handle side of things on those um unless it like there's a few woods that i cannot stabilize but typically most all of the handle materials are stabilized wood and what that means is they're basically impregnated with resin uh in a a process that's you know it's not a process that i do i actually send the wood out and have it done um but it is a uh a process that makes the the materials to where they're kind of impervious to getting soaking up moisture or anything. So that's also a benefit. You're not going to have to worry about that material, the the wood having issues soaking stuff up or, you know, getting it wet or whatever. It's not going to hurt it. Yeah. When Um, you're washing it or it's covered in elk blood or whatnot, it's not getting impregnated by, by all that moisture. No, No, none of that stuff. So, and as you know, you're asking about the storage of it. I mean, if, if, like my knives, unless you, uh, you know, spec out a leather sheath, typically just going to come with a little Kydex cover to keep the blade safe. Uh, honestly, as long as you put a little bit of oil or something on it, just put it in that, you're fine. If you're going to store it long-term and you have leather, uh, like a leather sheath of some sort, uh, remove it out of the sheath. Don't, because leather will actually absorb water out of mm. the air and it will rust it eventually. That's smart. So Good that tip. So smart. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize how leathers, just like any natural material, it's just going to absorb, you know, humidity or whatever, and it can actually get enough to rust a blade. Even though we don't get much here in Phoenix area, right. we do get some moisture, <laughs> and that right, leather, you know. that leather will. For everybody yeah. else that does get more rain and buys your knives, that's that's very yeah. important. So, so there, I can't think of what else to put on that. I mean, it's, it's literally about it. I mean, it's, uh, I'm hoping to, you know, as far as all that care stuff goes as well, I'm, I'm hoping I've, I've got a bunch of recorded time on how I recommend sharpening and keeping care of the cutting edge on the blades. Um, I don't have a, time frame yet but i'm trying to get time to get it all edited so i can actually post up a video on how to sharpen a knife or resharpen a knife that'd be great will that be on uh youtube or on your own yeah, social media it, it'll I'll, I'll probably end up posting a, a deal up on my social media to let everybody know it'll be on my youtube channel there's not much on my youtube channel yet i just haven't had time to mess with it but i'd like to <laughs> yeah well you're you're too busy making the knives you don't have time to, to videotape and edit it <laughs> knife stuff and taking care of the house and kiddos and it's hunting season now and it is prime hunting season yes uh, I'm, i get to leave wednesday morning for a mule deer hunt up in the high country so i'm excited beautiful exciting mm. should be really good up there should be really good right i now. hope so I hope so. It's supposed to be like low 60s while I'm up there yeah. during the day, so it's a little on the warm side, but it should be good. Yeah, and those deer should be really active with this weather. You know, the 30s yeah, at sure. night and then the highs in the 60s. I mean, those deer should be really moving good yeah. early morning, so for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, Let, talk about uh, your time on Forged and Fire. Give us a little snip, <laughs> uh, tidbit on that, on the the pressure or – the, uh, you know, the excitement about it or, or no pressure and you was, just do your thing. It was a lot of fun. Um, it literally boils down to my kids kept bugging me, you know, to, I should, I should do that. You should go do that, dad. You should go do that. And I finally, I was like, all right, I sent them a, sent them an email because they had like a little casting opening thing, sent them an email. And long story short on that is 
almost a year went by before they finally called me and said, Hey, uh, can you get on a plane in a couple of days and wow, come do this show? I'm like, Oh my, Oh, uh, okay. So it was, I guess this <laughs> is happening. Crazy. Yeah, it was, it was quite crazy. And so, uh, it was really hard not to talk about it with anybody. Cause you have to sign all kinds of NDA paperwork and the whole nine yards that you're not allowed to tell anybody about it, you know? Yeah. And of course my immediate family knew, but, and so they, they film everything in Stanford, Connecticut. So I jump on a plane, fly out there. I'm out there for, I don't know, four days or something like that. And then I end up going to the, you know, the last round type of thing. So I'm there doing all that stuff. And then I literally flew home. And then two days later, these producers show up at my house to film at my house. So wow. you, you just don't have any. And then it's like, and then a very short order, like a few more days after that, I fly back out there to do the final parts of it. So it was, I want to think I had like three weeks of just, I wasn't getting nothing done. And then all my buddies like, Hey, let's go do this. I'm like, Oh man, I'm busy. I can't, you know? So, so you can't <laughs> tell them what you're doing and it's a yeah. whirlwind <laughs> dealing with the TV yeah. folks and trying to make, you know, trying to win. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and so I, uh, I feel like for anybody that's seen the episode I was on, it was uh, season seven, episode 24 of the German Dessage. It was the sword that I had to make for that show. Um, it was a lot of fun. And I, I'd love to say that it was on, you know, a lot of pressure and all that, but honestly, I've been under the gun of stuff all my life. It wasn't really, it was, it was fun and exciting, but it wasn't like, it was like, yeah, this is just the way I work. You know, for me, it wasn't a big deal. Well, I think that and, goes back to, you know, you're a craftsman and, you, and your, your right. workmanship is the highest quality and, what you do is part of you and it's not a job. Right. It's, it's not something you second guess. It just naturally organically no. just, it happens. And that's where I think, right. you know, I haven't seen well, the show, but I, I bet you that's exactly what all the viewers notice is just, you are right. the ultimate knife maker and your techniques <laughs> just flow through that because it's, it's a natural progression and, and you're not second guessing. You're just doing what you do because right. it's natural. Well, so with that being said though, like, I, so background before I was before I was in Arizona and stuff I actually worked for a very a very very large caterpillar dealership I was a journeyman field mechanic so I drove the truck around fixing stuff well you are you have to meet deadlines constantly you have to you know you, you can't just mess around you're just constantly you know go 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 and all that stuff and you just kind of learn to plan out your steps in your head no matter what you're doing you're thinking you know two three four steps ahead of what you're physically doing exactly so so my mind is already trained with that kind of mindset well i will tell you because i know so many people that are in the industry with the knife making industry and stuff that have been on that show that are absolutely amazing knife makers craftsmen you know artists and you get that kind of pressure on these guys and it makes them look like just bumbling you know dum-dums right mm -hmm. yep and so i will say that just because they don't look like they know what they're doing on there doesn't always mean that you got to look at their, what they produce and how, how their stuff, you know, um, tests out and all that stuff. You can't look at their, the way they do things or their, or their confusion and whatnot, I guess you would say because of that pressure isn't instilled for everybody to deal with. Right. So, exactly. You know, <clears throat> so it, it, but that's, you know, I'm not going to say that that sets me apart from anybody. It's just, I've just come from a different background. Right. Yeah. Um, and so. The training I, and experience I, prepare you for the future. <laughs> right. And that's the thing, right? You, you just go about it and, and you learn how to take your time and just take what all's in around you and learn to deal with it. And so I, I'd say, I just have a very good way of dealing with the pressure and dealing with how things are done. Right. It, it's, I don't think it makes me a better uh, craftsman. I I think the only thing truly that sets me apart is my style of, of what things look like when they're done. Um, you know, there, there's more to it than that, but it's, you know, basically it's what it boils down to, you know, because you look at stuff and you might not like the 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 natural, classy look that I go for, right? Right. And that's fine. 
you you go for the guy that makes the stuff that looks like tactical or the other guy that makes it might look like you know that raw forged you know rough finish stuff i mean it it's just all everybody's got their little niche that they like to shoot for i just choose the classy um I guess the elegant, classy kind of look. You know, I want stuff to just look like it looks like it belongs in the hands of a millionaire. You know. Yep. Like the the, and, the copper Damascus one that you recently made. That it looks oh, like copper lightning going through it. Yeah, it's just that that turned out pretty cool. <laughs> I love the. One. You <laughs> could brag on it, man. Talking about it's an awesome, one of a kind piece so, of art. It's a it, that's a process that I figured out that not a lot of guys have figured out and i have actually gotten a lot of people hitting me up hey man how did you do that how, how can i i'm like yeah, there's just certain things i'm not going to talk about yeah exactly you can't that's you that's know. your uniqueness that sets you yeah. apart from everybody else yeah there, there's a few other things that i've done that i get a lot of people ask me how to do it i'm just like you know i gotta keep something that sets me aside from everybody else that's all <laughs> i mean and and if anybody shows up i will show anybody how to hammer swing a hammer i'll show them how to make the mask i mean i'll I, I teach people stuff all the time and I love it actually, but there's just certain things like I'm only going to go so far and then you got to use your own brain from there. <laughs> exactly. As oh. you should. Yep. For sure. Yeah. That's why they have things called patents. All these companies have patents to protect their, their vested interest. And it's exactly yep. the same as what you have. It's a, it's a patent. Yeah. It's basically, it's right. a very unique, you know, like we have a, a yeah. big a big plant coming, you know, that's being built in North Phoenix, you know, from Taiwan, and yeah, oh yeah. they own sixty percent of the market, and they have patents that the whole world yeah. wants to know how they do what they do, and they're like, no, we don't tell you, we'll tell you some basic stuff, but how yep. we do it, that's that's only for our us to know. It's the same exact thing. Yeah, that's, that's business. Oh yeah, that's, sure. that's business. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, I and I'm honestly like, I, yeah, it just. Just keeping sometimes just keeping your ideas to yourself is one thing. I mean, it's, but it's like I said, it it's not something that I'm going to do every time, but periodically it is fun to do. You know, those those different things that you figure out, and uh, I don't know. I I think it's just you know that there's I'm trying to think of like examples of that stuff, but it's. It's more or less, you know, you just got to do what you got to do to make make things unique, I guess. That's the biggest thing. Exactly, because that's what's going to separate you from just being common, you know, being the same as everybody else, you know. Yeah. For sure. Then I was going to say, too, speaking of your elk hunt, you know, a Uh a typical elk with the Havilah knife, and I would say you go through five to seven blades on a full elk, and they're always breaking, and you're coming close to, you know, have them snap in your hand and cut your hand. And, I mean, just looking at the value that you only have, you have your knife that's that's yeah. sharp and actually fitted to your hand and everything else. I mean, yep. just the potential not to slice your hand. I mean, I've I know so many yeah. people and I'm guilty. You know, I mean, yeah. we're dicing up our fingers and everything else. And just to think oh, yeah. about just that safety side of having a high quality knife that that's sharp like that, yeah. it it just does so much on the safety side. Well, that's the thing. I, I mean, and I'm not bashing Havilon and those blades. They make a very very awesome product however those thin stainless blades like that how many stories do we all know of our buddies or people we know that have snapped those blades and run them through the palms of their hands yep and things of that nature right and it's that's not Avalon's fault that's just misuse right so I'm, I'm like i said i just want to put that out there that those guys make a great product but there is that possibility right yep. so um when you've got a good knife that that you don't have to worry about that with. I mean, yeah, you can still cut yourself with it, but you don't have to worry about it breaking on you. So that's the thing, I guess, we're kind of going on that stuff real quick. Let's, let's kind of touch on the, the little bit of the blade care thing that people don't realize. So first off, if you don't know this already, um, when you have a knife and it's got your, your sharpened edge on it, it's very fine. It's got a really very small, thin point on it. And that's what makes them sharp. So when you are running that blade around the bones and stuff, you've just got to really be careful to not drag that blade sideways on the bone whatsoever. Like only cut like front to back, if that makes sense. Yep. Uh, is that when you give any chance to fold that edge over, that's when you start to feel dull, right? Uh, something else on that is, is, 
when you have a blade and you're using it and it starts to feel dull, one thing that I realized uh, when I was cutting up my elk was the blade started to feel a little bit on the dull side. And I was like, well, this is not good. Like I, I expected it to last longer. And I kind of looked at it real, real close and something you really can't see, but the fat and everything that's in the hide and all the, the stuff when you're cutting things apart will actually start sticking to the blade, the cutting edge. So if you have something that you can kind of almost wipe that clean to get that back off that cutting edge, that you don't even have to sharpen that knife and it will go back to sharp. Um, I mean, if you're like, if you're wearing jeans, you can almost, you know, run on your pant leg, like a strop or something just to get that fat off that cutting edge. See, and I almost wonder how many people don't realize that and think the knife all of a sudden just went dull. See, that, that's a great point. Cause I'm always using the hide. I'm always doing that yeah. to my knife to get every, all the, every, you know, the blood, you know, hair on it and everything else. Yeah. So I'm always going with the hair and I'm actually using it almost like as a, a wipe constantly. Yeah. And that's something yeah, I, like, do, I do. I don't think about, but I know I do it. And that's always kept my blade yeah. fresh. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, so that's a good idea using the hide. Like, I, I guess that's a great way to do it. I, I didn't, wasn't able to do that on that. Okay. Cause I wanted the hide. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. I scanned exactly. it out. But anyway, the, you know, I, I keep like a, I don't even know what you call it. It's just like a little stick with like some carbide, a V shaped carbide on it. Um, you can actually take and use that and also run it without any pressure, just drag the blade through it and it'll, you can watch that fat stuff just kind of pile right up around it and wipes right out the blade. That's a great tip. So it's, you know, once again, it's just another tool to add because you should have some sort, some form of sharpening device in your gear, right? In your kill kit. Um, because you just never know what, what happens if you accidentally dull the knife up or whatever, like you drop it on a rock or whatever, you know? Um, so you should have something. So why not utilize that stuff if you got it sitting there? Uh, what are, what are some of the things that you recommend, um, on something like that with everybody that goes hunting, if you're going away from your vehicle and you want to keep it as light as possible, what's Mm -hmm. something that two, two different things, I guess, or if you want more something small that you would keep in your pack that's lightweight and then something uh a better sharpener that you would keep in your truck or or back at camp so i i am a real big fan of some of the work sharp products um they make a i'm trying to think of what they call it i've got it sitting there let me look at it it's it's like a little, almost like a little stand with like a, what do they call this thing? I've got the little version and I've got the big version, but there's no name on it. It's like a guide rod set up. Like you clamp the blade and it's just got like a rod with a, with a, a diamond, flat diamond edge. You can change the grit on it. Okay. Um, that's something to keep in camp, right? Because if you need to use it. But in my pack, I carry, it's like a little black aluminum stick. This one says Edgemate uh, Gatco, G-A-T-C-O. And it's just like a little black handheld stick that might be five inches long. And it's got just two little carbide pieces on it that's shaped like a little V. I think you can probably get them at like Sportsman's Warehouse or any big sporting goods place. Um, And that that seems to work really well. Uh, and then if you need to be more aggressive than that, uh, work sharp also makes a little handheld. That's got a couple different grids of, uh, honing like ceramic stone on it, a little bit of leather. Uh, why don't they put names on their stuff? So I can tell people what this is. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. But just it's like just a work sharp field sharpener kind of thing, right? Yeah. It'll, it'll do knives. It'll do, hooks and scissors and axes and everything right so once again it's another item that's small it's extremely lightweight so it's easy to carry because it doesn't really weigh nothing um i I don't know i mean i could weigh it it might it might weigh five ounces maybe it's not very heavy at all that's good you know um but once again you're just looking at keeping the 
you know, keeping something in your gear if you have to use it. You know, what happens if you end up deciding to stay out overnight or whatever, you know, at least you have the stuff. Um, and then the best thing of all is really in my mind is carry an extra knife, <laughs> you know, whether it's a good one or a cheap one, at least you have that extra one for backup. Exactly. One is none and all, two is one. Right. That's, I mean, you know, I've always got a knife that I'll carry on my side and, you know, whatever's in my pack. So for me, it's kind of like might as well have extras. Now, not everybody can afford to have extras of all good ones, but, you know, work towards it. It makes you happier. <laughs> exactly. well, you, well, we always, I mean, we joke around with all of our guys and uh, members and friends that you pay for yeah. what you get. Um, yeah. You can, you can go out there and effectively hunt on a budget rifle with an inexpensive scope, but Yep. You're limited on range. You're limited on uh, yeah. the clarity and whatnot. But can you go out there oh, and yeah. hunt? Of course. Could you go out there and and yeah. do something with an inexpensive knife? Yeah. But yeah. are you going to be a lot more effective and more efficient with a high quality sharp knife? Yes. Right. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. So I I really, to be honest, I, I wish I had a lot more like little cool things to add. I'm, I'm you know, I'm. If you haven't gathered, I'm fairly new into the hunting side of things, so I've I've skinned up one deer and one elk so far. That's a great so, start. That's a great start. I mean, <laughs> and so hopefully, here by the end of this, uh, by this next weekend, I'll be skinning up another deer. Exactly. With larger antlers. <laughs> That's what we all strive for, for sure. And I kind of look uh, at your your knives and, and like mm-hmm. as to the quality. So I think back to you know, I've been hunting my whole life and. Yeah. I look back in the early days, I mean, we would shoot something, we'd we'd run to the processor and drop it off. Then about 20 yep. years ago, it just kind of organically naturally was like, man, I'll spend all this money, you know, shooting these animals. It's time to learn. Yeah. And so yeah. we ended up investing, you know, in, into all the butcher equipment, which it was equivalent oh, to basically a, an elk. At the, back then, it was like it was equivalent to having a, an elk and a, a mule deer butchered. So right. by not paying them to do it, it basically bought all the, the materials, you know, to get started the grinder yep. and everything else. And I kind of look yeah. at that as the same thing with the knife is if you have a high quality yeah. knife, you have one knife that you basically can do all of your yeah. own, you know, from start to finish, you have one quality knife that you can do all of that. Yeah. And and if, and if it's just looking at the butcher side of it, if you learn how to butcher and take your time, and I think yeah. a lot of times people, you know, they get done with hunting, they just mean they want to take it to the, the butcher and drop it off. But to me, that's part of the fun yeah. is that's the extension of the hunt is you're cutting it up and, you know, making burgers and cutting oh. steaks and vacuum sealing it. And, totally. you know, and and it's, it's all about you. So just on the other side of it is if you just yeah. didn't take one animal or, you know, let's say two elk or whatever to the butcher, yeah. you may have a high quality custom knife that was custom built to your likings right. for the rest of your life. Well, and it's paid for just based on that of aspect is, of it. So I've never taken an, I, I've only, I've, I've down two animals so far, you know, my short stint of hunting so far. And neither one went to a butcher. Now, I'm not knocking the butchers. Those guys know what they're doing. Exactly. However, I honestly don't care if that meat looks perfect. Does it taste good? Oh, yeah. Yep, exactly. You know? And so, you know, the deer was kind of like, all right, just get the meat off in pieces where it looks like something. Same with the elk. That exactly. looks like I'm going to call it a steak. That looks like I'm going to call it a roast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's exactly true. Exactly. So, yep. It's exactly so, true. And and you get it and you know the meat, it's cleaned and you pack it. Yeah. And when you pull it out, you know, you from start to finish, you took care of that animal. Yeah. You know? We actually, we did my elk in camp. Yep. That's like, awesome. That's we, great. We, we hung it in the trees that, that evening when we got back and, and, uh, the next morning we got up and laid everything out. I took all the vacuum seal equipment, the whole nine yards and just started cutting it and vacuum sealing. And <laughs> I tell you, it was really cool to just get home and just go straight to the freezer with it. Yeah. It's, it's huge. It's, it's massive. I know like yeah. I was, I got home late yesterday and a friend yeah. was coming back from the Kaibab and, and shot his first really Ooh. nice mule deer. And he's like, you have time to help me butcher? I'm like, Hey, we got three hours. And you know, and three hours later time he got here, it was butchered, vacuum sealed, cleaned up and, and done, yeah. you know, that's you know so and, awesome. and that's just a great way. And plus the fellowship, if you got a couple of buddies hanging out, that's just a good time to you know, laugh oh, yeah. and, and celebrate. And you're just cutting up meat and it's, it's really yep. nice. So uh, it's, it's pretty right. I, I know, but yeah. And once again, like you're saying though, you, if you like quality boning knives and things of that nature are worth their weight in gold. Um, 
you know, learning how to use a steel rod with a knife. Oh my God. Priceless. When you're cutting up animals or even preparing dinner with your kitchen knives. Right. Yeah. Um, steel rods are amazing. And you know, you, everybody watches the chefs use them and they look like they're hardly doing anything, but yep. and it just keeps that edge straight and you just keep on trucking. Well, that would be a cool video if you did that, you know, showing your knives and how you clean it up and the <laughs> techniques. That would be, I bet you that'd be a huge right. success because very few people yeah. know how to sharpen their own knives. I'd say it's, it's, right. a, it's a very small minority that would know how to do that. Right. And, and I tell everybody when they get my knives too, it's like, you don't have to know how to sharpen them. And I tell everybody, it's like you, if you get to where your knife, you want it cleaned up, you want it looking pretty again, you need it sharpened, all that stuff. All you gotta do is mail it to me. I usually do it within a day or so and then mail it back out to you. Um, I don't charge for it or any of that stuff, you know, it, just because it's, I just feel, honestly, it's kind of fun. <laughs> yep. Exactly. <laughs> you're getting that, you're getting that new, Oh man, I love it again. Attitude. And you're like, all right, that's what I look for. You know, kind of like going to the car wash and your car's older. You got a newer car, you know, getting all cleaned up and waxed <laughs> right? up. So it's the same thing. You know? exactly. 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 I love it. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm just trying to think of what else with these things. I mean, it's it's pretty straightforward. I mean, it's uh, like I said, I really, really strive for the functional beauty. And I feel like, you know, that the some of the other things that kind of set on part two is I feel like I'm very, very, very spot on with my heat treating process. Um, it's one of those things that's part of making the knife what it is and understanding how hard that blade needs to be for its function and um it, it makes a big difference understanding your steels that's why I, I really stick with certain steels that i've just gotten to know and understand to you know and end up you know you screw a lot of them up to make sure that everything's perfect and it's kind of that that heat treat everything makes also a huge difference on how good that steel is going to perform that's what a lot of people don't realize too. I mean, yeah. there's so many things that we could probably dive into deeper, but you know, the mm -hmm. hand forging or uh, mm -hmm. all those different layers and then being able to quench it and being able to, you know, yeah. do all those little steps all yeah. are, you know, factor onto each other. They're all equally important. Otherwise you leave one thing out oh, yeah. and it makes a, an inferior product compared to if you did a yeah. through Z correctly. If you, if you left Z out, it may not be right. that, that good. Right. And that's, and so there's just, I guess I will, I wish there was a way to put into perspective all of what goes into one at one shot, but it's, and honestly, I, I do it and I have been doing it for so long. I might not even remember if that I'm doing certain things, you know, cause you sometimes get on autopilot. Right. Um, and not that I'm missing it or anything. I just don't, I don't remember sometimes like, Oh yeah, I, I know it got done. Cause I can see it here, but <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> if people want to reach out to you or see your products, um, yeah. what are you, what are your social media handles and your YouTube channel so that they can look out and uh, check out some of your stuff? So everything is at cool beans knives. Um, I've, I screwed up my website. I got to fix it. I actually normally coolbeansknives.com. Okay. Uh, you got at coolbeansknives on Instagram um, and Facebook as well, coolbeansknives. Uh, and, and your YouTube's and under the same? Yeah, YouTube's under coolbeansknives as well. Uh, and I'm pretty sure most, I, I don't tend to the YouTube much. I'm trying to get around to doing that. Um, but Instagram and Facebook, you can always message me through there. That's the easiest. Uh, Mark at coolbeansknives.com is the email uh, that you could always email me on. Um, any of those platforms, you know, you get a hold of me. Now, I will say that because of the amount of notification stuff that I get from like Instagram and Facebook, if I don't respond right away, it's because I'm not on social media because I have it to, I have it all set to not alert me right <laughs> otherwise it just goes nuts all night long while i'm trying to sleep right yep uh, as do all so of us yep yeah so i just have it to where it's like if i log in and i see the stuff um that doesn't always mean that they show me everything that just means that 
you know, so I try to be as responsive as I can on all that. Um, sometimes it's hard just because of, you know, life, but, mm -hmm. uh, yep. I, I do hopefully plan on being a little more active in that department here pretty soon. I've been, been just trying to keep my nose to the grindstone with a lot of stuff. And, uh, so I would like to start getting to posting more stuff. Uh, believe me, there's, I, I post very little compared to the amount that is actually getting done. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm typically trying to get, uh, depending on the knives and what I got going on, I'm typically trying to get two to five knives done a week. So it's, it's very busy. So, um, but, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's something that I love and I'm trying to make sure that I keep it that way by not putting myself under too much pressure. <laughs> well, I think that's a key. We've seen it in a lot of people in this industry, not just knife making, but just stuff reference the outdoors, yeah. whether it be rifle manufacturing, taxidermy, knife yep. making, anything yeah. that people take on and it's a small business that they run, whether out of their home or out of a small shop. Yeah, yep. you need to get your name out, but there's that fine line of making yep. customers happy and getting it out in a timely manner versus uh, yep. a huge backlog because you grew too fast. And, um, right. you know, that's what every small business owner has to thread that needle. So, and it's funny you mention that because I actually, I quit taking new knife orders about a year ago because of wanting to just get caught up with the backlog. Um, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm getting, getting closer. I just really would like to get, you know, as a small business owner, that puts a lot of stress on a guy, right? When sure. you're sitting there looking at your list of something, Oh my God, I got all this. I got done. So I'm really, really trying to hard to get everything that I've got done uh, so that I can start, you know, basically, getting back at it with uh you know people wanting stuff because it knife industry is strange to me compared to everything else when somebody gets a hold of me and they say hey i really want this knife and i tell them yeah it's gonna be about two years before you hear from me that's fine like people don't seem to care i'm like how do these people have this much patience <laughs> yeah it's so, crazy they're they're used to taxidermists taking that long. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. we'll get it done in eight months, and we'll see you in three years. <laughs> right. I'm just like blows my mind because I mean, you know, so the 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 Skinner slash hunting knives is a big part of my deal, but you know, the other side of things for me is the kitchen knives. That's actually the kitchen knives are a tremendous amount for me. Um, and they all have their place and functions, right? And I think they all kind of go hand in hand. And once you experience a quality one, oh my goodness, you don't you don't want to use anything else, right? You know, and uh, I don't know, but it's it's kind of you don't want to hack at your nice uh, fillet or tri tip after you've put a lot of time and effort out <laughs> on the grill and you start using some right? some cheap Walmart or Target uh, all in one oh, yeah. knife kit. Dude, it's it, and that's the thing is once once you experience a quality, yeah, especially kitchen knife, it's like the bill and the way that it cuts and everything is just unbelievable compared to like those cheap knives. Yep. And uh, you know, and it, it's just it goes hand in hand like the the Skinner's hunting knives as well. Same thing, man. It's like once you experience it, it's hard to go back. So. Well, we're about ready to to close out. Is there any parting words that you'd like to leave our listeners and ourselves with? Um, you know, just uh, I don't know. Everybody, get out there and hunt. Get some good quality knives, whether they're mine or somebody's, and uh, you know, feel free to reach out if you guys you know have questions about stuff. I mean, I don't. You know, that's uh, those are great words. Get out there, go hunting. And buy one yeah. of Mark's knives so that you could start using it on those animals that you harvest. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, I, I appreciate you guys giving me the time to talk about this. I love it. You know, it's. No, so do we. We appreciate stuff. you coming on and, and sharing all your knowledge and all the little yeah. tidbits here and there that most people don't realize. I mean, that's. Yeah. You are. It's an investment. Right. For sure. So. 
Mikey, awesome, uh, close us out, Mikey. All right. Uh, as we do, we always <laughs> end in prayer. Lord God, we just, uh, we're just we so thankful, Lord, and we just uh, thank you for this time together, Lord, and we just thank you for the vision and, and the understanding of, of the light of the knife making industry. It's, it's actually, it's incredible Lord that, that you can use our minds Lord for the art and the creativity to take all these forms of steel and put them together. And and I have this image that becomes a knife that's so everlasting Lord, and, and it can last generations. And I just thank you Lord for Mark Lord and, and the, what you've empowered him to do Lord for he's found a niche Lord that he is a successful business person Lord I ask that you just bless him and his family Lord and I ask that you'd also bless their followers and we just give you all praise and glory in Jesus name Amen Amen Amen